0: As entrepreneurs, we all want to make a huge difference out there. And one of the ways we do it is creating intellectual property on the Internet. We're communicating really effectively. You know what? I see over and over again, many of us are making some extremely high-risk mistakes. And the next entrepreneur that I'm going to have on today, she's going to help us really gain some clarity so that we can do it even more effectively. She's an attorney, a real estate investor, and a serial entrepreneur. She's a remarkable individual. I've had the pleasure of hanging out with her for the last five years in uh, Joe Polish's Genius Network Mastermind group. And when any, any of us, and this is a group of very active creators of content and certainly making use of the internet, when any of us raise any issues all, at all, where there's any legal significance, uh, we immediately turn to Denise to get, well, how should we do it right? I wanted to have her on the show for the longest time, but chasing her around, I have her today. You do not want to miss this. Stay tuned. Ordinary success, no way. You want amazing, remarkable, exceptional breakthroughs. Dig deep, think bold, drive hard, watch yourself soar beyond your dreams. AESNation.com. Gonna, yeah, I am so excited about having you with me. You know, we've had the chance of sitting right next to each other so many times. We've been talking about doing this for, I think, almost a year. And I finally got you on uh, your busy schedule. So first of all, thank you for joining us today.
1: Thank you so much for having me, John, and for um, continuing to invite me to be your guest. I'm privileged to be here today. You
0: know, and I, I said in the introduction, and it's very sincere, uh, you know, I, I know who, you know, the second Joe Polish or Dan Sullivan or I, or, you know, there's, I think there's about 150 of us in the group. You know, when we think of intellectual property, we immediately turn to you, Denise, and, you know, and not only because you understand the law you know the intellectual property the internet but you're a fellow entrepreneur too so it's you know so many on attorneys really you know they're good on the legal side but they don't understand the business side and you get that whole package and that's why I wanted to have you here today but before we go into some of the you know the the things that your fellow entrepreneurs should be careful of I want to get the backstory because you know, like most of us as entrepreneurs, we don't have a straight line that we went and uh, did all this. So how did you go about becoming one of the top attorneys in intellectual property and internet law?
1: Yeah. So I, I started in corporate America, like a lot of people, and I was actually a software engineer for 10 years before I went to law school and became an attorney. So I, you know, Worked for you know a large software company, the largest software company in the world, as a computer programmer and an IS manager. And then I um, wanted to become a tech attorney because I wanted to make more money. You know, as entrepreneurs, y'all, y'all get that bug of how can I make more money? But I was doing it in the corporate corporate America route, and I was doing really really well. And when I became an attorney, I was the highest billing associate at a large Indiana law firm, an IP specialty firm, and I brought in the largest software company in the world that I'd worked for before as a client. And I was making the firm a fortune, but remember I said the firm a fortune. So I decided to, I left on maternity leave 10 years ago for my daughter when my daughter was born and I took that client that I had brought in with me and formed my own firm. I mean, what a great way to form your own firm, right? Take Take a large client with you and have them fund your first five years of your firm. So I was very fortunate in that regard, John. it's a, it's
0: a great way to get started. But, you know, you, right. you start the law firm and, you know, and and what I know you've done is, you know, you've done a lot of serial kind of you've got a number of other businesses, too. This is really for AS Nation. It's all about accelerating success of successful entrepreneurs. And typically, you know, we, we recommend they have about a five million or more revenue where you're going to get the most value from our podcast. And we have some there are less. But I just want to go, you know, one of the things that's so important right now and in Silicon Valley, we talk about the pivot and so on, you know, leaving corporate America, uh, you know, first the engineering, then, you know, kind of a a corporate, you know, a large law firm and going on your own. Yeah, that's that's unusual. I mean, it's it's becoming a little more usual, but still pretty unusual when you've got good opportunities. How did you, you know, what was the mindset? I mean, one was money, but, the, you know, there's, there's a lot more things going on during that period of setting it up and so on.
1: Oh absolutely I mean money was one of the factors but of course as most entrepreneurs we're creators right you know we always have new ideas that we want to run with and I've got multiple companies and who knows what companies I'll have in five or ten years from now and I couldn't do that and stay in the corporate America world because corporate America when somebody else pays you a salary they don't usually like you having other side businesses it's like frowned upon so I knew that I had to in order to you know um, be rewarded for my own efforts and have no income limits and also to be able to be the creator that I am and exploring new things the only option i had was really to go on my own so that i could run my own company and and be able to run multiple companies if i wanted to it's
0: one of the things i I think that's so true as entrepreneurs what we all do is we we struggle with this and and you know if we want to have being an entrepreneur or business owner i mean we're, we're looking for freedom we're looking for freedom of time freedom of purpose freedom of relationships and this is you know i mean that's how we can get that now we end up having to work a lot to, to get it going in the beginning. And and you made a huge change along the way that I want to point out. And this is so important. As entrepreneurs, we're building businesses to support the quality of life that we want. Well, you've shared with me, you know, the, the, the way you were able to get the company going, your law practice going, you know, you had a foundation client, this large software company will will leave nameless. And they were responsible for a lot of your revenue. And you've shared with me when we're you know, we're, we've been uh, discussing over our meetings that uh, one of the first clients you fired. was home. And, you know, how, how did that? I mean, because, you know, in building, you know, you've, you've got this great, you know, biz, you know, business you're advising, you know, high profile, all that and uh, generating good cash. And you made that change. How did you know what got you to that point? And then uh, what happened after?
1: Yeah, one of the hardest things I ever did was resign from working with the client that had founded my own, that had allowed me to you know, go on my own and had paid me millions of dollars over the years, And when, you know, both when I worked for them as an employee and as outside counsel. So it was hard to, to go to them and say, you know what, this just isn't working anymore. Thank you for everything you've done for me, but it's time for me to move on. And I discovered that I hated writing patents and it was it's the most lucrative if you know anything about lawyers patent lawyers are the highest paid lawyers out there because you have to take a second bar exam you have to be an engineer or you know you have to have a science background so i went into that area because it was so lucrative but i found out that I just didn't like the job of being a, a patent drafter. So, but you know, and I, I didn't like working for that client anymore because corporate America is notorious, and it's no—it's just the way their numbers work. It's nothing against them; it doesn't make them bad. But they're notorious for always looking to, as a as a commodity. How can we lower our costs? So they were looking at patent drafting as a commodity and always wanted to lower the fees on me. And the cases would get more complicated, and they wanted me to do them for less money. And I just didn't enjoy that whole process. So that's when I basically, you know, um, had called them up and said, this just isn't working for me. And they were cutting their patent budget at the same time because of downsizing in the corporation. And I'm like, this is a great time for us to part ways because you guys are going to give me less work. You know what? Don't give me any work. I'm done. (laughs) But it was scary, John, because I just said goodbye to 80 percent of my firm's revenue. You know, I made the mistake of having all my eggs in one basket at the time because it was it was easy money. But then there I was, 80 percent less revenue because I I told them I was done. They were still going to give me a lot of work. I'm like, no, I'm done. So then I went from 80 percent of my revenue or down to 20 percent. You know, I still had 20 percent clients left. So I had to reinvent my firm from scratch. That was not a pleasant place to be, but it was a great lesson.
0: You know, this is one that I think all your fellow entrepreneurs, I'm going to share a little bit of, you know, a story that I had during this because 2008, 2009, my primary business is a company, CED Worldwide. And we coach top financial advisors, and and prior to the two thousand eight two thousand nine downturn, I coached nothing but you know the big banks, brokerage firm, their top like one two percent, uh, and and you know, had a great team, we're the largest player in that, and really enjoyed it, uh, and then the world changed, and you know and and at large companies can become very cost containment. Any time, but when you have 2008, 2009, you know, that's the
1: same time we're talking about. Yeah,
0: <laughs> everything changed for everyone. And, you know, it was really then that's when I met you, Denise. And that's why I joined Joe's group, uh, because I wanted to learn how we were we're delivering great value to the end user, the advisors and you know, many of the corporations. Some went under some just, you know, went into survival mode. So we went direct and we learned how to do all the marketing automation and everything else using the internet, the power of intellectual property. And what's happened is we've grown dramatically and now the corporate clients have come back and we're better able to serve them as well as. So I mean, it's it's out of these crises is where you know we all become more successful it doesn't feel good the pain so if you're going through some pain now you know look you know your fellow entrepreneurs you know look to see where the opportunities are because there are so many opportunities here denise you know you you, when you made that through i mean you, you know so we're 2008 2009 you're rebuilding yourself things are going really well and i i know you had a personal really disaster and uh uh you've you've got a beautiful home. I've seen pictures you've shared with me both before and after a fire. You know, tell me how, you know, tell our our viewers and listeners, you know, that effect, because, you know, this is where you've been taking care of so many people, you know, their intellectual property, the internet law, you know, you're you're extremely smart, talented individual, and, you know, life's moving along really good. (laughs) And then, Yeah, life intrudes. And we all have that happen. Why don't you describe what it was and how you recovered?
1: Yeah. So to set the stage, so the the house fire happened about two years after I had rebuilt my practice. So I resigned from the large, working with the large client, starting, you know, I'm basically left with rebuilding my practice from scratch. So I worked my tail off for those two years to focus on a certain niche um, and info publishing and technology and coaching companies and building a recurring client base there and so things are going along pretty good John two years at, you know after I would stopped working with the large client finally got good revenue coming in again renegotiated some loans with banks because you know after I lost all that revenue I had to restructure some loans and thankfully you know I didn't, I didn't have to go through bankruptcy or anything like that I just refinanced a bunch of things and made my overhead lower and it all worked out just fine but then on June 20th 2011 a date I will never forget at 8 a.m. There was a boom, shake. And I that's literally my house was struck by lightning. There was a boom and a shake, like an earthquake. And we knew we were hit because my husband and I were in the kitchen. We had just gotten up, we were getting ready for work. And um, it was just that day is like a, a black and white movie I can play back in my head because. You know, we stood there all day long watching the firemen put out our house. It was raining, and it took them about eight hours to put the fire out. And we're just standing in our neighbor's garage, and the whole neighborhood came there to be with us and just checked on us when we're bringing us stuff. What do you guys need? What do you guys need? It was just so surreal. But I know you and I have talked about this many times before, but the key lesson I learned that day really came to me when the firemen, when they— we're kicking us out of the house because they actually are the ones that saw we were on fire because the neighbors had called them because our phones weren't working. When they're kicking us out of the house going, get out, you have a fire. They said, Miss Gosnell, before we ruin your house in the next five minutes, before we, you know, before we ruin your house with water, putting out the fire, because water damages as much as the fire does, if you don't know that, what do you want us to go grab for you in the next five minutes before we destroy your house with water? and it was like like the, my you know the pit in my throat you know sank and i'm like oh my gosh what do i want them to go grab and it was just so eye opening to me and i would encourage all your listeners to ask that question to themselves what would i have the firemen go grab from my house if i had 5 minutes to retrieve it what's most important to me and how i answered that question had nothing to do with that famous painting that i bought in italy when we were traveling or all the material things that you could buy again and make again as an entrepreneur but they don't they don't matter because they're just things You know, I had them go get all the pictures around the house that they could find of my family. You know, I had them go get my daughter's favorite toy. She was five at the time and the fire had started above her room. I was thinking about her and her future mindset. You know, I had them go get my grandmother's blanket that she made me before she died, teaching me about Mexicans and Indians and the integration of cultural people together and love and, and happiness and acceptance. Those were the things I had them go grab. And that was just like so eye-opening to me, John. I hope I don't cry on you. Just that I was working my ass off so hard to pay for this multi-million dollar house that I, I loved, but I'd become a slave to it because I was doing work I hated. And it, when, it, when, it, when it burned, it didn't even matter. So at that day, I vowed that I would no longer work in on any kind of with businesses or clients or projects that, didn't, that I didn't enjoy or that took away from me being able to spend time with my family. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, I didn't go and reinvest the insurance proceeds into just as nice of a house. But I look at this house that you see behind me, I look at it differently. It's a house. It's an investment. It doesn't define who I am. I don't work for it. It works for me. It's a totally different mindset, if that makes sense.
0: I think this is so invaluable, you know, Denise, the, uh, you know, one of the things that many of us need, I'm going to go to health for a second because we can relate to health a little bit easier sometimes, is, that, and particularly guys and you know uh, a larger percentage of at least the older entrepreneurs are guys and we usually take care of our health you know at what point when we get a heart attack and you know and it's, it's just a terrible time because if I, I don't remember the statistics for sure but i think it's one third or roughly you know you just you don't recover from the heart attack and so you know, and and just you know how devastating life can be. That if we don't take care of things ahead of time, and you know the the you know the fire, it, these are wake up calls. And and what happens is we start thinking, you know, what is important to us in life. And you know, we can all have beautiful homes and you know great lives, but a lot of times they're not built on what we want to do and working. You know, I, I had at one time I was doing investment banking, flying all over the country. I had access. You know, we're basically a private jet and all that other stuff, and you know, and and uh, staying at the nicest hotels. All this, you know, everything's first class, and I hated my life with a passion. <laughs> type thing. Yeah. and so you know, what what AES is all about. We're talking about accelerating our success, but we want to accelerate our success to what we want. We want to live a life on purpose, and business is not about getting more business. Business is about building a business that supports the quality of life that you want. So, you know, Denise, I, I want to take a little further though, because this is a huge wake-up call, and, and, and because I know you personally well, you know, there, you know, you had to kind of decide how to reinvent yourself, but you had an overhang, too, because you had to deal with the insurance company. And I, and I know, being in the financial services industry, how easy the insurance companies are to work with. Are, are there any lessons that you would share there before? Because I, I want to go to the, you know, your real expertise is the you know, intellectual property and the, uh, the Internet law. And I, I want to go to those next. But I just I don't want to let this off because I know how important this is for all of us.
1: Yeah, I'm glad that you're giving me the opportunity to speak to that because it is absolutely critical. And you know, one of the biggest lessons that I learned is I thought, "Oh, I'm a lawyer. I can handle this insurance scenario myself." But when you're talking about a multi-million dollar claim or even if it's not a multi-million dollar claim, Um, I learned that it's very wise to use someone that's called a public adjuster in addition to an attorney to help you negotiate your settlement so I was the attorney on my own case and then I hired a public adjuster as a consultant I didn't let them take over the case because I was serving as my own counsel but public adjusters are they're basically like their insurance professionals that represent you as the um, as the homeowner and they basically can talk give you stuff that the insurance company may not share with you so that was invaluable to me John because my public adjuster, like we would get the offer from the insurance company and what we ended up settling for was almost a million dollars off of what they originally offered. Um, I may, my numbers may be off a little bit because I, you know, don't have all that in front of me, but it was it was drastically different. So, you know
0: I remember you sharing you know, the numbers and we did it to you know, the petty and I was very impressed. It was very yeah, worthwhile to have gone through the process. Too.
1: Yeah, and what what helped with the negotiating was obviously my legal skills and that they saw I was prepared to take it to court because they were undervaluing what my, my assets were worth. So I learned the importance of documenting what you have. Um, in terms of, you know, like photographing your belongings in your home even right now before you even have a disaster. Photographing and videoing your assets and making any special comments about, oh, and this came from Italy. This is this particular, you know, artist or this is, you know, anything special. You just want to have evidence of what it was because I learned that they don't just write you a check for the amount of your policy. You have to actually prove what it was that you had and if you in in my case they were digging through the rubble as I've told you before John the the public uh, the um, the insurance companies people that they send in there were going through and digging through the rubble photographing my items because I didn't have all the photographs of it myself before and those people are picking up objects and recording what it is and then they're going back to a computer and, and estimating what it's worth how can you do that from something like that after the fact so that's why their number was so low understandably right But that's why, you know, one lesson I learned was on documenting all your belongings for the future so that you can show it in good condition now and get it properly evaluated later if you had to. And then about the public adjuster, because the public adjuster helped me prove when the insurance company's um, construction rebuild estimate, they were able to say, but Denise, they, we rebuilt their estimate in our own software, our Xactimate software, or whatever it is they use, and we, they forgot to clean the wall before they sealed it again. They, did, they left this out. They left this out. Like They were able to break that down. I would have never known that as a lawyer or an individual, like who knows down to the construction, down to the stick. Mm-hmm you know, how to calculate that kind of stuff. So it was worth every bit of the money that I paid the public adjuster as a consultant to help me. But, you know, those were the two big lessons that I learned about documenting your assets and knowing when you're in over your head and you need to hire the help of someone else. And and it's a long process. And it
0: really is. And this is one of the things that, you know, I'm going to talk about, you know, always at AES because of my financial background. I just see so often we're so busy doing our businesses that we forget about taking care of our personal wealth and this is important you know, so critical. But the, the other mistake entrepreneurs make, and I want to go to some of your legal expertise, is you know, they forget, you know, their personal assets and they don't protect them from some of the liability in the business side. And maybe let's touch on that as well, Denise.
1: Yeah, that's a great segue because you know and i'm sure you've seen that in the financial services world too as you mentioned but you know i represent a lot of uh, multimillionaire info publishers technology companies and coaches and sometimes it, it just surprises me how great they are at making money they generate millions of dollars a year in their business and yet they may not even have a, a personal will or they may not have a limited liability company set up for all of their activities. They may have, a, you know, some of them operating under one of their entities and then they may have this startup that they're just operating as a sole proprietor. And I have to be like, guys, don't do that. You know, you're great at making money, but you don't have, they're like, but I don't have time. It's like, yeah, you do. You got to take the time to set up the limited liability shield correctly and then have the right checking account for that and keep the records separate for that and not be paying it out of your personal checkbook. You know, luckily I work with a lot of clients that are really well established and that's not a problem for them now because of the types of clients that I work with. But I've, I can't tell you how many entrepreneurs I talk with at different mastermind meetings that are their money makers but they leave those details to chance and they're, one of these days they're going to get burned if they're not careful. And yeah. lose all their personal assets well, that they've worked so hard to accumulate. But with I, just one lawsuit could ruin them.
0: I have, I, I had the opportunity to work in sports and entertainment. And I can tell you that, you know, it's there, I would count them as entrepreneurs as well, because many of them have businesses. And, and they did that. And, and, you know, I can think of a couple of people here. You know, I've worked in technology. And I, I can think of every industry I've ever worked with where somebody made the mistake of that and went bankrupt. Uh, and it's just it doesn't need to. And, you know, that's why these corporate entities uh, you know, are there for protection and, and so that, you know, we can take these kinds of risks. And it's, you know, and oftentimes they had a corporate entity, but they only had they weren't doing their you know part of the business in it. And it was very easy to pierce that. And, you know, Denise, just touch on, you know, how how, how can we make sure that doesn't happen?
1: Yeah, there are a couple of easy ways that you can make sure that doesn't happen. You know, one of them is if you're going to have like a, if you're always going to be a serial entrepreneur where you're going to be trying out different things, you might want to set up like a testing company where it's like your, your um, oh, I don't know what you're going to call it, your experimental company where all the stuff that you haven't really vetted yet is, you know, it might be your ventures, it might be John Bowen Ventures, LLC, right? Where you form a company that's just your test bed for all these new things that you're trying to decide which ones are going to stick. And then once you get great success with one of them, you can spin that off and form a different LLC or, or S Corp for that other business and make it its own business. But you know, so many people, they leave their test bed as a sole proprietor and they just, you know, they want, and what I mean by that is they don't form any kind of company. They're just operating it out of their personal checkbook while they're testing the market. And it's great that they test the market. It's great that they, you know, don't put a lot of other resources into it until they see that it gets off the ground. But the mistake they make at that point is not having a, a testing company that they can vet those ideas with limited liability protection and then move it into uh, another type of company um, after the fact. Does that make sense?
0: And it's one that, uh, you know, I do <laughs> do mm-hmm. that. Only because of you know, the experience of seeing others. And that's one of the reasons why we have AES Nation. This is, you know, this is kind of basic stuff, but it's missed all the time. And this is where, you know, we can cause so much damage. The other part, Denise, I want to cover is, you know, intellectual property. Every business is creating intellectual property and it's not, You know, you and I are involved in information marketing and, you know, we think of that intellectual property. But every business I've been in, whether it's financial services, technology, sports or entertainment, we created tremendous intellectual property. And, you know, quite honestly, early on, I didn't get the value of that. And I didn't understand how to protect that. I mean, maybe touch on, because I mean, that's one of your big areas of expertise and you, you're helping some of the most successful information marketing entrepreneurs protect that. But, you know, it's so easy to ignore.
1: Absolutely. And, and that's actually one of the biggest mistakes that I see businesses especially any kind of business doing you know online business these days make but as you said intellectual property impacts every business the biggest mistake they're making nowadays is not protecting their intellectual assets like they do like their house and their car and I love to use that analogy John because would you ever imagine not having the deed recorded to your house or your car, the title, car title, you know, like you always immediately like there's a process. You go to a closing, you record the deed. You buy the car, the the, you know, the dealership gives you the title. You take it to the Bureau of Motor Vehicles. Like that's the process. You always want to claim that ownership. But I am just blown away at how many successful multi-million dollar businesses will not record the deed to the assets that generate the revenue for their business. And that, in most cases, it includes the intellectual assets, the knowledge of their employees, the products and services that bring in the money. Those products and services have brand names that can be trademarked. They have worked product like in the form of a book and manuals and processes and ideas that can be copyrighted and or patented. Yet they don't. Re- I, I call those recording the intellectual assets with the U.S. government. Now you can get rights, and not to make this about that. I don't want to make it overly complicated, but you can earn rights by just creating the copyrighted work by you know putting it into a print form or by using a brand in commerce as a trademark. You can earn common law rights if you want to call it that, but it's not the same thing as if you get a federal registration with a government certificate. It's much like having a car that you you're just like you know you you happen to be borrowing it from a friend and yeah you've got possession of it and it's yours right now and you've got rights to it but you know if you had a certificate that said it was yours that the government issued that's way more powerful so that that's the biggest thing i see john is that you know entrepreneurs make millions of dollars from assets that they don't want to spend a few thousand dollars to try and fight for getting a government registration on. <laughs> that just blows my mind. And
0: I've sold some businesses as well as bought businesses. And, and I can say somebody who's dealt with this, you know, you're know, you going to create tremendous value. I mean, that's the mm-hmm. first time I sold a you know, very significant business. Um, they went immediately to the intellectual property. And, and quite honestly, I had not done a good job, Denise, at that time, and, but there were a few key know? ones. Yeah, i didn't know but there were a few key ones i did take care of that were worth millions of dollars that you know and and since then uh, i've got all kaiser certificates uh, as you know um you know that and 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 it's it's relatively easy it's not that expensive and and it's 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 it is a very important asset let me go one more thing denise you, you know you you're doing internet law and is there anything you know, so many of us are doing commerce over the Internet. I don't care whether you're selling widgets or, you know, advice or anything in between. You know, we're doing business over the Internet. Is there any, you know, I mean, that's this is such a huge question, but uh, uh, and we haven't talked about this. But is there anything that as you know, we're talking with our fellow entrepreneurs that they should be sensitive to, you know, in the fast changing world of the Internet?
1: Yeah, there are... F- four or five key areas that are constantly evolving that I'm having to do memos to update clients on things like the CAN spam act on how you can email people, you know, Canada for example just instituted Canadian anti-spam laws called CASL. So if you have Canadian subscribers now there's additional requirements that you have to meet. Like the spam laws are always changing depending on where your mailing lists are located. You know, there's the the voice broadcasting and the text broadcasting laws of what type of consent you have to get before you can just start sending those, you know, automated messages to people that you want to be in contact with you know there's contest laws you know i'm sure almost all your subscribers at some point have the type of business where they want to run a contest Well, there are a lot of things you have to do correctly in a contest to make sure it qualifies as a a contest and not a sweepstakes or an illegal lottery. So there are a lot of nuances, you know, and I know we don't have that time to get, that could be a whole session itself. I know we don't have time to get into what that criteria is, but just know that if you're going to structure a contest and especially if you're going to have any kind of prize that's, you know, more than just a $50 gift card that you really need to seek counsel to help you structure it legally. And um, there may be certain states you have to exclude or you may have to get registered or um, it's just really complicated and it changes all the time. Um, so, you know, those are some of the, the big ones. And then the one of the biggest online issues today, John, um, is just to be aware that copyright infringement by having your contractors and employees innocently include images that you don't have licensed or media or other videos, audio that is one of the biggest issues I'm helping clients battle right now is where they had a contractor who they paid to produce some manual for them or some product for them that they wanted to sell and then there were a bunch of images included in it that weren't properly licensed and you know the client you wouldn't know if you hired a contractor to do a job for you where they got all those images you just assume that it was paid for correctly imagine then if you get sued with a, or get a cease and desist letter from an image company saying you owe us $30,000 for these five images that your contractor didn't pay for. Do you think that contractor's anywhere to be found? Of course not. You're on the hook for it. So, copyright infringement is one of the biggest things that I'm constantly fighting on behalf of my clients when people are ripping them off, and also when they are innocently being. Um, guilty of copyright infringement themselves because the acts of their contractors or their employees who weren't educated that you can't just save as and download it and put it into the work product that you're creating. Does that make sense?
0: I send my fair share of cease and desist letters because we do so much research that firms forget to pay us. I I, mm-hmm. I haven't yet litigated. I've come close and I've had a no, few I'll write to checks. Do it
1: right. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah they'll, they'll, they'll let you write, they'll write checks and so on. And it's but this is, you know, it goes both ways. And this is something that I'm extremely careful. And it's, it's crazy because the cost, I mean, so many contractors think you can just pull it off Google Images and it's, you, know, you have full rights. And, it's and, not. <laughs> and guess what? No, not at all. And so, yeah, this is, you know, Denise, this has been really helpful. I wanna change, and I wanna go to uh, uh, another segment here. And this is the book of the day. You know, what would you recommend to your fellow entrepreneurs you know, as they're scaling up their businesses that they should read to help accelerate that success?
1: Yeah, my newest favorite book on business growth for people that are already they already have a successful business and they want to scale it from there is Cameron Harold's book Double Double. I think you interviewed Cameron recently, if I remember correctly.
0: I have, and he's in 25K with us as well. A oh. uh, great guy, and uh, yeah, definitely you can go ahead and search on AES Nation, Paul Cameron's interview. But I I, I agree, it's a you know, Double Double is pretty attractive.
1: That's a fantastic book because it teaches you about, you know, setting the culture that it's going to take to scale and then a lot of just in the trenches strategies for what it takes to scale. But I mean, I actually actually love the audio version as well. I have both. I bought the book and then I listened to it on audio. It's phenomenal if you let it all sink in. It's one of the best books on business growth. It's like right up there with, you know the, um, what is it, Jim Collins, built to last. Uh, Yeah,
0: and good to great. Good to great, yeah. yeah. it's fantastic. And what Cameron does, and what I like about Cameron so much is there's a lot of good business gurus out there, but Cameron's actually done it. (laughs) And he's taking the best ideas of the gurus as well as what he's found work, and he helps you put together the puzzle of entrepreneurship in a way that... Uh, makes sense. He's most famous for being COO of 1-800-GOT-JUNK. And uh, they you know, have phenomenal growth, never any debt or equity. And actually, Cameron was telling me, well, they should have taken some on along the way. But that's a whole different story. You can listen to that. But you know, applying his principles is just phenomenal. Let's go to the next segment. And this is the application of the day. And Denise, on your smartphone, uh, what what would you recommend to your fellow entrepreneurs that they should consider using that helped you really be more successful?
1: Yeah, my favorite app today is called Smartsheet. And it's actually, it's available on you know mobile devices like the iPhone, but it also works in a web browser. So I've actually switched my entire team over to Smartsheet. I think it's smartsheet.com, but what Smartsheet is, John, is I think you guys use it too, so you may already be well familiar with it, is it's it's an interactive spreadsheet that's way more powerful than just like an Excel spreadsheet or a Google Docs spreadsheet. It lets you do things like attaching files to rows and letting people subscribe to different sections of a spreadsheet and where they can click a link and only see those cells and lets you expand and collapse rows and have email alerts set and criteria set up. I mean, it's just really, really really, really powerful. And I'm actually in the process of adding my entire firm policies and procedures manual there because, you know, imagine a table of contents in a spreadsheet that each row has a PDF of what the procedures are, Um, you know, so anybody in the firm can go look and see what the process is and open up the current version of it. I've got, you know, client reminder spreadsheets in there, birthday ones, you know, I've got marketing tracking spreadsheets in there that kick off different rules and when different things need to be sent to them that different people get emails from. It, you know, in a lot of ways, it can do some of the things a CRM would do. And I still have, you know, a customer relationship management type software program as well. But Smartsheet is just great for lists and making lists more powerful and tracking data in really interesting ways.
0: I actually didn't know they had an app. I got yeah. download it. But I mean, we, we use it for multi-million dollar projects. Uh, it is I give my project managers you know, whatever software they wanted. I wanted to get and I was surprised they use Smartsheet because when you first look at it, you don't think that's what it does. But I mean, it is amazing. And, you know, uh, I think everyone knows it's listening to this. But, you know, I have virtual companies. As a matter of fact, uh, you know, do a over the shoulder shot here. You can see uh, Global Headquarters is my pool house and I've got some pretty sizable businesses. And we've got great technology. I've got all, you know, enterprise level, you know, Salesforce and, you know, marketing automation and you know, virtual platforms and so on for video. But Smartsheet is what we use for project management. You're the first one, Denise, to recommend it uh, on this. Uh, and I think we've got about 150 uh, interviews I've done. So, you know, we're, we're very aligned there. Let me go to the last uh, on resources and you, know, you you've got some tremendous uh, resources on your website. Let me go ahead and pull that up. And remember, all the links you can go ahead and get at aesnation.com. You're going to have the transcript. Uh, you know, everything that Denise and I talk about, you can go there get the links and so on. Denise, uh, t- you know, we got a, a beautiful picture of you. And so a free consultation offer here at a liability spotter, you know, tell for those of you who aren't watching the video, uh, tell them what what's on the uh, uh, your website and some of the resources.
1: Yeah. So on the gosnellasoch.com blog or website, you know, basically I've got, um, over a hundred articles of different topics that I've written, legal and business topics on entrepreneurship and growing your business. I also have a way to get in contact with me for anyone who also wants to do a free consult. And only though if you're in my area of practice and in the area that I, the type of people that I want to work with, but um, which are the information publishing, um, technology, and coaching companies. But I offer a liability spotter audit that you mentioned, which is a really powerful one page audit it's 10 yes or no questions that trip up most info publishing and technology companies the most frequently. And so any of those questions that you answer no to is a red flag that that's a glaring hole you have in your business. So even people that you know end up, don't end up working with me, um, they've got a great resource for knowing that those are the areas they need to have somebody help them address, whether they do it themselves or they hire a counsel like me to help them. So I highly recommend everybody uh, check out the website, you know, look through the different articles, and you know feel free to get in contact with me if any of that resonates with you
0: that's great Denise let me go to the that last segment here the key takeaways I've got a whole bunch of notes that I've been taking (laughs) here that you know it's I mean a tremendous amount of notes and but let me just kind of summarize some of the key takeaways and actions that I'm gonna take because we're all about execution it's not just you know you got to make things happen and you know number one really work with the right clients. And I I think this is, you know, so important. And and you talked about it both in the book, you know, Cameron Harold's Double Double and yourself having that vision. And I'm going to put number one, actually, the vision part. Be clear on what success is for you. Success means different things to different people. Be clear what success means for you and then design your business to support that quality of life that that success has. And if the, the clients aren't right for you, then go ahead and refocus, release them for new opportunities. Uh, it's just, you know, and you can do it. You want to do it so that, you know, you don't kill yourself, but do it in a way that really works. You know, obviously the house fire, the heart attacks, whatever it is, you know, we can't protect, ourselves from all risks, you know, lightning hitting us obviously, but what we can do is be prepared and we're so focused on making things happen that we don't also, you know, personal and business you know, protect your assets. And this is where, you know, working with a, uh, I'm going to say a top financial advisor, a personal chief financial officer type on the personal side and good legal counsel so that you, you know, you can, you can really protect. It's not, this isn't hard to do, but it's hard after the fact. And then, you know, we went over, intellectual property, this is becoming so valuable. In the old days, it was all capital intense, you know, real tangible assets. Well, today they're all intangible. That's creating the most value. You've got to be able to protect that. Be really aware as you do more and more, the, uh, the internet You know, that's constantly changing, working with somebody that understands this, this is also critical. I mean, this has been really valuable. Denise, you know, one of the things I want to do is also just bring up a project uh, that Joe Polish of Genius Network and uh, Dan Sullivan of Strategic Coach and I have been working on. And, and at the AES uh, website, you can go now and uh, sign up for a wealth assessment and get a personal wealth assessment that's you know, for you. You know, go through a series of around 30 questions and you'll see how you rank relative to the 27 million businesses in the U.S., how you're doing on the personal side. And we, we did a really in-depth study of 3,500 businesses. And what we will do is show you how you're doing relative to them. And then more importantly, what action you can take. You know, Denise, uh, yeah, thank you again for all this. This has just been so valuable. You are truly a great entrepreneur.
1: Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it today. Go
0: back, AESNation.com. Make sure you you know, check out the show notes, the links. Go execute. Your clients, your future clients, they're all counting on you. Don't let them down. We wish you the best of success. Exceptional, remarkable breakthrough. AESNation.com.